Brothers and sisters, our text this afternoon comes to us from a reading in Malachi, Malachi 1, verse 11, and we will read that again. Malachi 1, verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the introductory sermon on the book of Malachi, which you heard this morning, we learned that Malachi writes in a time of spiritual decline. And often one of the problems that leads to such deformation within the church is our own faulty conception of God. And so I want to pose a question to you all. Is your God too small? I ask the question because if we really acknowledged the all-surpassing greatness of our God, we would tremble at the thought of offending Him. That was the problem with the gift that Ananias and Sapphira had presented before the apostles in the book of Acts. After selling some land, they had given most of the proceeds to the church. Most of us would have considered their gift an act of generosity. But the Lord struck them down so that they died. It was a matter of approach. They wanted to make it look like that they were giving everything to the Lord. When in reality, they were holding some back. And as a result, they were condemned for lying to the Holy Spirit. How could someone think that they could lie to the all-knowing, infinite God? The con- their concept of God was too small. And as a result, their worship was tainted. Beloved, the Lord wants us to know of His greatness. He wants us to acknowledge His all-surpassing power. And so, in response, offer up pure worship. This is the concern that Malachi is addressing in our text this afternoon. Therefore, I preach to you God's word under the following theme and points. The Lord's name is great. Therefore, he rejects the polluted sacrifices of his people. We see the Lord's accusation against his people, the Lord's assessment of his people, and finally, the Lord's answer for his people. Congregation, who is it that the Israelites think they are serving? Yes, they offer sacrifices on the altar to the Lord, recognizing it as such, as the Lord's altar. It's not an altar to Baal or to some other god. No, it's an altar to the Lord. But somehow the people and the priests display by their actions that they have a rather low view of God. And so the prophet Malachi needs to remind them of who God really is. It's quite striking that five times in our reading of Malachi 1 verses 6 through 14, Malachi identifies God as the Lord of hosts. 
The Lord of hosts is the God of the heavenly armies, the divine warrior who is over all power in heaven and on earth. The prophet Isaiah gives us a sense of what that exactly means. When the Lord had brought punishment upon the people of Judah for their sins, it was his sovereign will to allow a remnant to survive. Isaiah 1 verse 9 says, If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. The Lord of hosts was the ultimate warrior who had the power over life and death. A God to be feared and a God to be honored. The psalmist in Psalm 89 verses 6 through 8 expands on what it meant to be the Lord of hosts. And there we read, For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? And the implied answer of the psalmist, brothers and sisters, is no one. There is no one who can compare to the God of Israel, the all-powerful God, the King of the universe. And Malachi had just reminded them that it was this very God who had chosen them over all the nations of the earth, as we heard this morning, even over Their brother Edom. God had declared to them, I have loved you. Think about it, brothers and sisters. The all-powerful God of heaven and earth says to his covenant people, I have loved you. And in light of the glorious majesty of God and his love for his people, the appropriate response was to offer up pure worship. But was the worship that the Israelites offered pure? And as we read in Malachi, no. They did not bring the honor that such a great king deserved. And so the Lord challenges the Israelites, describing himself as their father. He asks them, where is my honor? In Exodus 4 verse 22, the Lord made it very clear to Pharaoh that the nation of Israel was his firstborn son. And later in Exodus 20, he lays out the just requirements of his holy law, where he instructs the Israelites to honor your father and your mother. As a father to his people, he was entitled to be held in esteem, to be acknowledged for his importance. In fact, failure to offer such honor to one's father was sometimes even punishable by death. Exodus 21, verse 17 says, Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. The word translated as curse has the sense of dishonor. And so whoever dishonored his father or his mother shall be put to death. And so for God's covenant people to be accused of not honoring one's father was a very serious accusation. The Lord goes on presenting himself as their master. 
And master is, is used with the idea that, of that of kingship. The Lord was their king and they were his servants or his subjects. And he asks his covenant people, where is the fear that you owe me? The reverence that is due to one who holds the position of a mighty king. A king demands honor and respect. It's not optional. It's his due. And beloved, they're not dealing with just any king. They are dealing with the Lord of hosts. The great warrior king who held their very lives in his hands. The Lord's questions imply that the Israelites had fallen quite short of giving their heavenly father, their master, and their king the honor that was due to his name. And who does the Lord address first and foremost in our reading? The priests. They were in a position to instruct the people about their obligations. They could have prevented much of the dishonor that took place in Israel. But rather than doing that, we read that the Lord accused the priests of despising his name. To despise the Lord's name meant to hold it in contempt. The religious leaders were leading the way in dishonoring their great God. A serious charge in light of the majesty that he displayed. And it wasn't a one-time thing. The action of our text suggests that they allowed the contempt to go on and on, on a continuous basis. And in the midst of their contempt, they seem oblivious to the Lord's accusation, saying, How have we despised your name? The Israelites were people just like you and me, brothers and sisters. If we presented that same question to the congregation to the elders, to the deacons, the minister? Would we be at a loss at how to answer that question? I mean, after all, we are God's covenant people. We go to church each Sunday. We pay church in school. We show up for the consistory and council meetings and do the required visits that are necessary. We're doing what we ought to do, aren't we? How have we despised his name? It's a question we ought to consider in the light of Malachi 1. And so how do the priests show contempt for the great name of our God? The Lord makes it explicit how they show contempt for his great name. They were offering polluted food upon his altar. Offerings that were not acceptable. The sacrifice offered to the Lord was to be an animal without blemish. Deuteronomy 15 verse 21 says, If it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. A blemished animal was of significantly less value. So such a sacrifice would cost the giver little. It was like giving the leftovers to the Lord. David, a man after God's own heart, refused to accept an animal for sacrifice that cost him nothing. In 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, he says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing. But this was exactly what the priests were allowing. 
And they even told the people that it was all right to offer blemished animals. Verse 7 of our reading tells us that the priests were saying, the Lord's table may be despised. The priests were to concern themselves with clean offerings, but instead they endorsed the use of animals that were lame and blind as acceptable sacrifices for their great God. And what about the office bearers today, brothers and sisters? Are they truly concerned that the congregation is offering up their lives in holy service to the Lord? Or are they quick to endorse superficial worship as something which is acceptable and okay? It is significant that our reading refers to the Lord's table, which corresponds to the altar, because by this reference, the Lord makes it clear that He is the Lord of that altar. They had despised His name, and now the priests had no hesitation about allowing and promoting the desecration of the Lord's altar. But really, congregation, what are they despising? The altar represented the promise of the Lord to send a Savior. A sacrifice that would pay the sins for the people. Allowing polluted sacrifices was a slap in the Lord's face. The altar represented His promise. They acted like God's promises were tainted. That His promises were something to be treated lightly. But how could they do that? The altar pointed to the necessity of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. To offer a blemished animal implied that they did not need a perfect Savior. That our great and holy God would accept something less. And if God would accept the leftovers, what need would they have of a perfect Savior? And brothers and sisters, that brings us back to the question that we brought up earlier. Are we different? from the Israelites of Malachi's time? Or have we despised the Lord's name as well? The promise that the altar represented has been fulfilled by Christ. The Israelites looked forward to this promise as we look back. Yes, brothers and sisters, our salvation too rests in the one sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as a covenant child, I am assured by my great God that the sacrifice of Christ is for me. It is the same promise that God's people looked forward to in the time of Malachi. But they treated his promise with contempt by giving tainted sacrifices. And so we need to ask ourselves, in my own calling, to offer my life as a living sacrifice of praise to him. Do I offer a pure sacrifice of service? To my great and glorious king? Or am I offering half-hearted service like the Israelites of Malachi's time? The priests had not insisted on pure worship. Sacrifices that didn't cost the people too much were good enough. They were willing to be good Christians when the stakes weren't too high. And isn't that human nature, congregation? We give from our abundance so it doesn't really cost us. We speak up for Christ in the midst of the converted, but when it might damage our reputation, we remain silent. We show up once on Sunday and we think that we've given God His due. When the elders the Lord has appointed over us are calling us to be there twice. 
And as office bearers, we can often tell ourselves that we want to think the best of a wayward church member who's going astray. But in reality, we don't really want to have the burden of confronting such a brother or sister. And we just let it go. And it goes from bad to worse. Verse 13 says the priests are bored with the worship of the Lord. They can't be bothered to insist that the people offer an acceptable sacrifice, even snorting at it with a show of contempt. And if that's the attitude of the leadership, brothers and sisters, can more be expected from the people? And don't we often see the same thing today? We come into the presence of the Lord of hosts, and we can't wait to get out the door, get back to the game on TV. The minister's message is too long, it's too boring, I'm tired of singing the psalms, why can't our liturgy be more vibrant? And in our boredom, we pay half-hearted attention to the proclamation of God's word that points back to that altar. We should be filled, brothers and sisters, with joy and excitement to be in the midst of God's people where the good news that Christ was crucified for you and for me is being proclaimed from week to week. And so that brings us to our second point, the Lord's assessment of his people. The situation presented by Malachi begs the question, should our great and holy God accept such worship which profanes his name? And the Lord responds in verse 8. He instructs the priests, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Would an earthly ruler accept a defiled gift? Of course they wouldn't. In fact, brothers and sisters, they would be more likely to be offended by such a tainted gift. Would the President of the United States be satisfied with some scraps from your plate like a beggar in the street? It'd be better not to even offer such a gift than to offer one that is tainted. And the Israelites have not come to offer their sacrifices to some earthly ruler. No, they have come before the Lord of hosts. And so the Lord sarcastically responds to the priests. He taunts them. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. Try it. Come with your tainted sacrifices, the leftovers from your flocks that cost you nothing. Try and appease your great God that way. The Lord of hosts says, with such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? And the answer is no. If you're looking for God's mercy and his favor, this is not the way. Verse 10, the Lord says you might as well shut the doors of the temple. There's no point to offering defiled sacrifices. You are offering sacrifices in vain, calling upon his great name in vain. A transgression against the third commandment. When we worship our great God with small thoughts in our mind, and think that our leftover service will satisfy our holy God. God says we might as well not show up. The Lord says, I have no pleasure in you. And I will not accept an offering from your hand. 
In fact, verse 14 says, you can expect curses instead. The Lord said, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. This reference refers to a free will offering. Leviticus 22, verse 19 says, Only a male without blemish was acceptable as a free will offering. A free will offering wasn't even an offering that was required. They didn't have to bring this offering. And yet they thought that they could please God with something half-hearted, an attempt to appease God with service that really didn't cost them all that much. And the Lord says such service is cursed. Isn't that, brothers and sisters, what's laid out before each of us? Each of us as God's covenant children. He chose us just like He chose Israel over Edom. He extended His covenant promises to us. The promise of our great King is a promise of eternal life. And He calls us to respond in obedience. But our service is simply insufficient. And as a result... We need Christ. Even by giving our best, we couldn't give what the Lord required. We need the perfecting work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah says this, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. But our great and loving God does not leave us there. He provides the answer. And that brings us to our final point. The Lord's answer for His people. He tells the priests that among the nations His name will be great. There will be a time when pure offerings will be made. It's hard to understand how that could be possible. Since we have just concluded that our service can never be pure. And so how is it that people among the nations could offer a pure sacrifice? Beloved, we need to look past the altar to what it represents. According to our reading in Hebrews, the sacrifices of animals themselves could never take away sin. The altar pointed to the necessary sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what did his sacrifice do for his people? Hebrews 10 verse 14 says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Our great and loving God sent his son so that he could perfect our imperfections. Our only hope is to place our trust in the perfect sacrifice of Christ. We need to have faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And knowing what that altar represented, how could the Israelites then offer anything but the best? Because a tainted offering showed their complete lack of faith in God's promises to send the Savior. And so the Lord responds to the failure of the priesthood by pointing out that among the nations there are those offering a pure Offering to his name. 
they're eating is not referring to heathen sacrifices. No, there were those who had true faith in God, in the God of Israel. Malachi tells them that from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. There are a few things that we have to take notice of here. From the rising of the sun to its setting refers not to time, but to to geography. What Malachi is saying is that from the nations where the sun is rising to the nations where the sun is setting and all the nations in between, those are the nations where believers will uphold the Lord's name as great. You will also notice that our translation says will be. It's pointing to the future. In the King James Version, these words are in italics because in the Hebrew, these words are implied. And if we add to this that prophecy often has multiple levels of fulfillment, it's reasonable to conclude that there is also an immediate fulfillment to these words, as well as a future fulfillment. The Lord's name was great at the time that Malachi wrote his words, so that we could also translate our text with is rather than will be. And what that means is that the Lord's name was great among the nations already. Malachi lived among the returned exiles after the rebuilding of the temple. There were many Jews who had been dispersed throughout the nations. In the time of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar made God known throughout the whole world. Consider the words we find in Daniel 4, verses 1 through 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And as we look forward from Malachi, we see that this trend continues. In Acts 2, we also read that God-fearing Jews and converts from throughout the nations gathered in Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost. And the Lord brings this to the attention of the priests. Of all people, they should have known God's greatness. They had been returned from exile, received a new temple with the promises attached to the sacrifices. And they lived in the promised land. Everything around them. (coughs) Everything around them showed that they were loved by the Lord. They were different from Edom and the nations around them. A people set apart. They were a pure... But where, brothers and sisters, were the pure sacrifices being offered? Not in the nation of Israel. Scripture teaches that only sacrifices offered in the temple were considered pure. And so we should not conclude that the nations were offering animals. No, they offered pure service as the believers would in the future after the coming of Christ who abolished the daily sacrifices in the temple. 
Their offerings of service were pure because they placed their trust in the coming sacrifice that the altar in the temple of Jerusalem represented. And it was through the work of Christ that their offering would be perfected. They had faith that they would be delivered through the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, God is a great king who was feared among the nations. Therefore, the Israelites were to take notice. And God's fame among the nations has only increased with the coming of Christ. Revelations 5 verses 9 and 10 says, They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Given what Christ has done, congregation, how much more should we take notice of the glory of our great King? And His greatness will only continue to increase Until every knee bows and every tongue confesses the majesty of our great and glorious King. We are God's covenant people. Heirs to the promise of salvation extended to us by our great King. We are not looking forward to the fulfillment of the sacrifice like the Israelites. No, Jesus has made the perfect sacrifice. Putting an end to the need for sacrifice. And now he is calling you to offer your own lives as living sacrifices in his service. Do you place your trust completely in him? And as a result, do you render untainted service to your king? God sent his son so that your service might be perfected. We cannot be the sons and the servants that God demands in our own strength. Left to ourselves, we would have had no hope. We would have been under the curse. We need Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came as the perfect Son and servant. He acknowledged the greatness of God. Therefore, he was willing to become the cursed one. He acknowledged the Lord of hosts and submitted because we couldn't. And it is only through him that our service is made pure. He sent his Holy Spirit to assist us so that we can begin to offer pure service to our King. For such a rich gift from your great King, how could we possibly offer tainted service? Could you possibly be bored by such a rich gift? The work of Christ, brothers and sisters, can never Be considered boring. It's the most exciting thing that we have ever heard. Or at least it should be. And therefore, brothers and sisters, we are called to serve him with zeal. Because Christ perfects us so that you can offer pure service to your great and glorious king. Beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Israelites thought that their half-hearted service would be sufficient to satisfy our holy God. 
But the Lord responds to us today by declaring that he is the greatest king of all. The Lord of hosts, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And that those who serve him must offer pure worship. Anything less is an insult to his great majesty. Anything less is worthy of his curse and not his blessing. And in light of this, we are brought low. Recognizing that we cannot offer such pure service in ourselves. We tremble to realize that we have fallen short. That we are under the curse of the great king. But the Lord has also declared his great love for his people. And in his mercy sent one who could offer such pure service. Your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thanks be to your Lord and Savior who took your curse with him to the cross so that through his work you might be presented before the holy throne of your great king without spot or blemish, cleansed of all your unrighteousness. As a result, you are called to offer pure service to your king until the day when his greatness is acknowledged by all. When every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess the greatness of your King. Amen.